Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. For more information about AppGate's Zero Trust Access Solution, you can head on over to AppGate.com to learn more. That's not why we're here today. Uh, we've got a couple of wonderful guests, returning guests for that matter. Uh, we've got Garrett Becker from 451 Research, which is now part of SP. Uh, Garrett, this is your second time coming on to the Zero Trust 30 podcast, so thanks for thanks for coming back. So, Garrett, you've got a focus on identity and access management, cloud security, data security, and of course, Zero Trust. Did I leave anything else out there? Well, if you're talking about Zero Trust, I guess you, you, you can't talk about Zero Trust these days without talking about SASE. True. Um, yeah, and I guess the other, <clears throat> the other thing I should mention, too, I, I, I've sort of uh, handed off coverage of data security, one of my colleagues, Justin Lamb. Um, so I still dabble in a little bit, but he's doing the bulk of it just because I was covering way too much. And then we're also joined by Mr. Chris, Chris Shields, who is our vice president of product marketing at AppGate. Uh, Chris, you've got one on Garrett. This is your third podcast. Is that right? That is correct. Uh-huh. Awesome. So Chris is is hyper-focused on evangelizing the AppGate SDP Zero Trust Access platform uh, to really help customers kind of accelerate their zero trust journey. And Chris, you bring a unique perspective given that in your past life, you were actually an IT and security buyer. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Very nice. I, I do not envy those uh, poor, unfortunate souls. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, um, we're trying to help those poor and unfortunate souls with this podcast by, by cutting through some of the, the, the marketing chaos and, uh, really give some good guidance in terms of what Zero Trust can or cannot do. And we've actually got an interesting one here talking about Zero Trust access for the corporate network. Uh, But before we get into the topic at hand, we like to play a quick game of what's bugging you. So Garrett, uh, you guys have both played this before, so it's very straightforward. I'm going to ask you this question. What's bugging you? Garrett, do you want to kick us off? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, I'm thinking since you mentioned marketing chaos um, and since RSA just finished last week, it's probably a, a, a good segue into what's bugging me. And yeah, I mean, I didn't go to RSA physically this year, um, although um, what that allowed me to do is in the first time in many, many, many years, I actually got to check into and listen to keynotes and sessions and whatnot. Um, and although I didn't get to go out on the floor, one of my pet peeves over the years, and it hasn't really changed much, is just just the, I guess, overinflated marketing claims by security vendors, right? And I guess it's partly to be understood when there's close yep. to 4,000 vendors and are all looking to be heard and get, you know, get their, get some level of attention. Um, and so their marketing cycles go into hyperdrive. Um and yeah, it just gets a little bit much. I mean, to some extent, it's good for analysts like me, right? Because that's partly our job to sift through the marketing hype and figure out what's real and what isn't, and what have you. But uh, yeah, there's there tends to be a lot of uh, washing over the years. You know, whether it's zero trust washing or sassy washing or passwordless washing or cloud washing. So that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. It's a great answer. I think we uh, we would definitely agree with you. We we recorded a couple of podcasts from the floor, one of which was with uh, Jason Garbus and, and Dr. Trace Cunningham, and this topic came up as well. And I think they they shared the same perspective that it's um, 
a little too easy to go and slap zero trust onto a message so you can kind of bandwagon and, and piggyback off of the uh off of the buzzword mr shields what's bugging you let's see it's summertime and i hate yard work and mowing the lawn so that is definitely bugging me the fact that i have to do that once a week and uh and my kids aren't uh they're gone so i'm stuck with that um in terms of security i'm definitely uh disappointed it's bugging me that i did not make it out to rsa um this year because they moved it on me um and it didn't work out so i didn't get to go see a bunch of uh you know folks that i haven't been able to be in touch with for years uh due to you know circumstances so that's what's bugging me well, that's that that's fair enough it was it was great being out there and uh meeting with people face to face people you communicate with via zoom calls it's just uh it's a little different when you are face to face so we definitely missed you chris so Let's get into the, the topic at hand here. So, Garrett, this past December on the podcast, we, we kind of talked with you about how secure remote access has evolved and how organizations can align security strategies to a post-pandemic hybrid workforce. Uh, for the audience listening, this was episode five. You, know, you can go back and, and revisit it as well. And then in April, Chris, we talked separately about how ZTNA extends secure access for all users, devices, and workloads to network LANs and WANs as HQs and offices kind of start to reopen. And that was episode 15. So episode five and episode 15, similar topics that we're talking about here today. But what we thought was, let's bring the two of you together uh, and have this kind of bigger uh, conversation around how zero trust network access is now being applied far beyond a remote access use case to kind of full corporate network security uh, and even kind of starting to seed and, and bring forward this idea of a cafe style network. Um, so let's kind of go into this first question here. We'll, we'll basically level set. Many people think zero trust security is something that you can buy. It isn't. Let's start by cutting through some of the confusion out there. Uh, and this kind of goes in, Garrett, to what you were just mentioning in terms of what bugging you and especially coming off of the back of RSA there's a lot of zero trust messaging. So how would you, in the minds of the, the people listening here today, help kind of identify the differences between what zero trust network access is versus what zero trust security is? Garrett, do you yeah. want to lead with that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, George. Um, yeah, I'd love to. And I've, I've been having this conversation a lot over a couple of years. And I, I'm a little hesitant to feel like I'm, I'm sort of beating a dead horse, but, um, you know, it actually really matters. And it's, it's not just a, um, it's a big source of confusion, right? And I think, you know, if I used to joke, if you ask 10 different vendors what zero trust means, you'll get 15 different answers. Um, now you may only get 10 different answers, but yeah, I still think there's a lot of confusion. Um, and to your point, I think a lot of it is, part of it is on the, on the vendor side with just, you know, purposely making things a little confusing or, um, but, you know, to, to some extent, uh, the analyst community, I suspect is a little bit to blame because we've all got our own definitions and what have you. Um, but for me, really simply put, you know, zero trust as I see it. And, and Jason, and I've had a number of conversations around this too in the past. Um, zero trust to me is really a philosophy. It's a, it's a, a set of principles for the way security should be done. Um, you know, it, it revolves heavily around the notion of identity as the primary means of granting access versus the old perimeter model, which is basically based on location. 
Um, it's about the principle of least privilege. Um, it's about device trust. Um, you know, not mm-hmm. only can, let me say, you know, can I authenticate the user such as Garrett, but also what about the device, you know, I may be using, Garrett is using, is, is this device to be trusted? Can we identify the device? Is it up to snuff in terms of all the different security checks you might do to it? Um, I mean, to me, ZTNA has become to be used in a very specific manner. It's, it's essentially, it's a purely remote access solution. It's about um, essentially, you know, VPN replacement is what's commonly thought of. So, you know, whereas zero trust more broadly is a philosophy, ZTNA to my mind is, is, can actually be a product. It's a very specific product just around secure remote access. But um, yeah, as I think we're going to talk about a little bit today, zero trust is about a lot more than just remote access. Yeah, so I, and I love that summarization there, right? Zero trust is a philosophy, an idea, ZTNA, something you can actually go and buy. It's not a silver bullet, but it definitely helps enforce those uh, those zero trust principles. Chris, what about you, sir? What do you think? Well, I think, uh, you know, having been at AppGate and immersed in the zero trust world for the last three years, I, I definitely think that there's improvements in terms of the, the market understanding, the, the buyer's understanding, the, anal- the way the analysts talk about it. I think it's, I see progress, you know, in, in terms of people understanding that zero trust is, is a philosophy or an overar- overarching uh, a strategy or architecture that you're trying to build out. I, and I often ponder that, you know, going back to, uh, to Garrett's, you know, thing about the analysts, I wonder if they just, na- rather than name it zero trust, if they just named it zero implicit trust, mm-hmm. um, you know, if that would have helped the confusion from, from the early days, right? Because if you think about, you know, when I try to put my buyer's hat back on, which I, I try to do from time to time is, you know, you, if you t- think about zero implicit trust, you can then quickly formulate that I can't go out and buy a single technology that's going to remove all the implicit trust from every aspect of my digital footprint. And, and that, you know, to me, that's how I see the market trying to understand that, yeah, I can't just go out and buy this or buy that technology or buy ZTNA. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm zero trust. No, because it's a, it's a long journey. And, you know, if you really think about it at the end of the day, you'll, you'll never get there. Um, gosh, I, that probably just deflated a lot of people, but <laughs> it is a much better way to do security, you know, from, from back when I was doing security, you know, 15 years ago, every little piece of implicit trust that you remove from your digital footprint is a huge win and a huge success for the business, uh, in, in my take. Yeah. I mean, really call it whatever you want, right? And then we've talked about this before with, you know, even when you're talking to the security folks as they start latching on to the terminology of zero trust, it may not extend well when you start introducing that concept to the rest of the organization that doesn't understand the technical nuances as to why you're doing it. Um, And ultimately, the principles of zero trust are not new. It's a new way of packaging it for people to understand, but these are not new things that people have not been privy to over the past, right? In terms of least privilege access, that is not a new concept. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Garrett, I'm curious to understand from your perspective, you know, when you look at what 451 research is, is indicating, what what is some of the growth of zero trust network access specifically? Is are you seeing changes there? I guess, what are you seeing? So, yeah. And, and by the way, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind going back to Chris's point about, you know, deflating people and saying, uh, I forget how he put it, zero trust. You, you're, you're maybe never done. 
you know, it, it, it goes back to me to the definition, right? When you think of zero trust as a way of, of thinking about security, um, that makes total sense, right? It's, it's kind of, if you think about your own personal health, um, you may work out and you eat right, but you're, you're never done. You're never done trying to be healthy. It's not something you get to and then you're done with it. So I, I kind of think of zero trust the same way. Um, you know, getting back to, so we've, we've got some data on 451. I'd say a couple things. Um, we're still early on. And even though I've been doing this for better part of four years now, um, we're still fairly early. That said, we're seeing a lot of, of movements. Um, and we've got a survey service we call Voice of the Enterprise. And we've got some interesting data, definitely shows some movement. So a couple things. One, um, our most recent survey done in January showed that 23% of enterprises have ZTNA in use. 21% have zero trust projects underway. I should say ZTNA. Um, and about 35% have plans to adopt in the next six to 24 months. So definitely seeing a, a big movement there. I think about a year or two ago, the numbers were more around 13% had mm-hmm. zero, some form of zero trust deployed. And there's a fairly small number uh, in, in, in pilot. Um the other data point I could throw out there, too, is uh, if we look at the top five security projects for next year that have more than 40 percent of respondents planning to deploy in the coming year, um, Zero Trust was number four. So things like Identity as, um, Identity as a Service, uh, uh, XDR, which is another big topic, and then Zero Trust is right up there. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I guess to summarize, it's still yeah. early. There's still a lot of questions, but we're also seeing some, some definite plans uh, to move forward. What I'm sure, you know, again, we've, we've talked about this before is the the pandemic and, you know, everyone pushing outside of the, the corporate network and basically VPNs falling short has likely picked up the momentum with ZTNA, which is wonderful, right? And as well as just zero trust in general, but it has started to get pigeonholed, like we talked about, as just a remote access VPN uh, replacement. So Chris, what are you seeing in terms of customer trends um, regarding the application of ZTNA across security, you know, especially as organizations start dusting off these kind of in-office networks? Are you seeing people getting out of this remote access only mindset? Um, I, I do. Uh, you know, the funny, the thing that's interesting to me, and maybe I should have used this for, for what's bugging me um, <clears throat> to be determined is you know, I actually ha- uh, hosted a panel discussion um, about a year ago. So it was a little premature before Omicron, uh, you know, with some CISOs that were talking about, you know, what are we going to do when we come back to work? Uh, and it was, you know, uh, th- the thought of people coming back in, you- you've-, you've implemented some kind of ZTNA, you know, because of the issues and, you know, the explosion of the remote workforce. And you've, you know, made all this progress, you know, going down, you know, trying to remove all this implicit trust from, you know, your remote users and make sure they only access, you know, what they need to at the right time and all that. And then the thought of them coming back to the office and just jacking into the LAN, right, Mm -hmm. or the local area network. And then you just went backwards on all of that great removal of the implicit trust from your network, from your remote users, because literally they're just plugging back into the LAN, they're bypassing the the ZTNA installation, and then they can access whatever they can access, you know, that's behind that switch on that LAN port. And typically it's a large network segment. 
um, or a VLAN. And then you can access all your normal stuff, right? And that, you know, to me as a buyer, that would not be a comfortable position that I would want to be put in. And so I would start thinking like, well, why can't I just use my ZTNA solution? And that's a great um, idea uh, if, you know, you implemented the right uh, ZTNA solution that has an architecture that was built for remote or on-premises users, as well as on-premises devices, right? Because, you know, you still want to remove not just the implicit trust from your user uh, base, but what about those IoT devices that are mm-hmm. in those offices, right? You got camera systems, you got network printers, you might have VoIP phones on the desk, you got some kind of card entry system to, you know, to secure who's coming into the office. Um, and so I'm starting to see this shift of people thinking, yeah, so I got to figure this stuff out and there's got to be a better way to do it than how I'm doing it now. Oh, and oh, by the way, you know, when I try to turn my, those switches back on, cause maybe you power them off to save, you know, electricity and power and, and all that, do they still work? Are they patched? you know, et cetera. So I think, I think there's a big task ahead, uh, for, for a lot of those folks when people are coming back to the office. My, my wife is now following a, been following a uh, model that I suspect a lot of firms are going to be following. I know we are at S and P, um, sort of a flex model, right? Where you, you go in a couple of days and you, and you stay home a couple of days. Um, if you think about the old model, it was either, you know, most of the people were, we're remote most of the time or in the office most of the time. So it was a little bit easier to, I think, handle from a security perspective. Um, now, when you have that flexibility, now you've got to support a multitude of scenarios, right? It, it's kind of like, you know, I, I also cover cloud security and everyone knows cloud has a lot of wonderful benefits, but unless you're a cloud only organization, which most are not, we now know. Um, and, you know, in that hybrid world we used to talk about, you now have to support both of those environments, right? It's not just the legacy on-prem stuff and it's not just the cloud stuff. So from that standpoint, you've you've got a broader range of responsibilities now. And I think it has the same thing to do with access. Um, The other issue is, um, you know, I was just going to say too, is access, remote access is almost a little bit of a misnomer to me, right? In a day when your users are everywhere, um, your applications are everywhere. Your devices are largely everywhere. What does it actually mean to be remote? I mean, to me, access is really about, you know, being secure access. It's not just remote access. Ideally, you need to support a variety of different types of access. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's also where the whole idea of zero trust came from, right? When you think about the, uh, the Jericho Forum and um, this idea of deperimeterization. So really, everybody is remote and workloads are everywhere. But I think what I'm hearing is it's complexity and complexity is the bane of security and as you've got all of these workloads and people that could be in different places holding different roles different workload types all together whether it's cloud containerized all the way down to your legacy mainframes that still have critical aspects to to your business and then layer on the iot devices and it sounds very difficult to manage, especially when you're using disparate systems. So, I mean, Chris, from your perspective, how has the complexity of managing access become, you know, both a risk and and even a business inhibitor? Yeah, I, I guess I'll start with um, user experience, right? Not, you're, you're right. Complexity is definitely the enemy of the security professional and, and the, the folks that are out there on 
on the battlefront, you know, trying to fight this fight, which, you know, we as vendors and, you know, Garrett and 451 as analysts are trying to help them uh, succeed in that battle because don't, you know, don't be mistaken. It, it is, it is a battle um, is, you know, outside of say managing three different solutions. You know, if I think back to my old IT days and my IT consulting days, right? I had a VPN for my remote users. I had a set of rules and ACLs for my VPN. I had a network access control for my users that were uh, on-premises on campus, you know, inside the corporate network. I maybe had some, you know, some different switching with some security stuff. So so I could have three different things that I had to pivot to, to set up policies and set up rules. So from an admin perspective, right, if you have one set of policies and one unified policy engine and framework that handles all that. And oh, by the way, you know, should be able to handle IOT because, you, you know, any normal business today that has some kind of uh, physical presence has to have those kind of things, you know, to get work done and make sure people come into the building securely and et cetera. Um, you know, having a unified policy model and engine and framework to me would reduce that burden or reduce that complexity because it's all in the same place. But then if I look at the user perspective, right? Like Garrett said, you, you may be in this flex model where you're in the office two days this week, remote three days. Next week, you might be in the office five days. And then the next week after that, you might be remote for five days. If I've got a unified, seamless user experience where it doesn't matter where I am today or where I am in the next hour, if it's exactly the same and I can access only the resources that I need to access to do my job, it reduces a lot of that user friction um, and therefore makes your employees more productive and, and happier in, in my mind, right? Than trying to make sure you knew what you were doing depending on where you were, or, you know, you didn't have access to this or that depending on where you were. I think that's just counterproductive. I don't know. What do you think, Garrett? Yeah, I agree. Um, it's a really good point. I think, you know, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I mean, I think we might talk about this a little bit of the whole knack thing, right? I remember years ago, network access control. I always thought that that was, that was really complicated. Um, I mean, I think to your point, having a unified, um, policy engine and a, in fact, I called this unified access control initially is <laughs> wishful thinking. I thought I'd rename the category, but it never stuck. Um, but I think the extent you can you can cross lines here, I think, is really important. Um, you know, as I, as uh, I mentioned, I cover identity, and I used to look at like single sign-on and identity as a service was initially mainly for uh, access just for your internal employees, and then you looked at privileged access management, which was mainly about privileged employees. Then you had customer IM, which is mainly about customers. Um, you had IDAS eventually expand to support third parties and consultants and contractors. And I think eventually we, we've got to get to a point where it, it touches in a little bit with my comment about, you know, remote access. It's just access. And on the, on the user side, I think we need to do a better job mm -hmm. of pulling together these solutions to support all user personas under all environments, if, if that makes sense. I think we've so far we had too many of these access solutions have been siloed. So I think to the extent that ZTNA can help pull that all together, um, I, I think that'll be a step in the right direction. Um, I also think there's an opportunity for some services-based helps, partic particularly for smaller companies, um, and also some automation. I think there's, uh, to the extent we can automate some of this, I think it could be really helpful. Absolutely. Um, 
I think one of the things Garrett will have to talk about at some point, and we actually just did a podcast on it too. seems like we always do a podcast on these things. It's just always so serendipitous. Uh, <laughs> is the zero trust maturity model. And as you're talking about, you know, automation, obviously day one, a lot of the you know benefits of zero trust security are just for um, enforcing stronger security controls, improving some UX. But as you mature those things, obviously, you know, stitching together these siloed solutions that make up your security stack, as well as your business and IT stack, there's a lot of opportunities to unleash automation and operational efficiencies. I do want to go back and Chris, get your perspective here, though, on the knack, right? I mean, as you know, here at AppGate, we've been talking, uh, replace the VPN, kill the VPN um, at nauseum for a few years. What's your perspective on um, on knack and where it fits in the stack today uh, and whether or not ZTNA is is a better alternative as people are starting to go on and, you know, turn these monolithic beasts back on for, for corporate networks. That's It's funny, George, because, you know, like I said, over the last three years, we've had customers, you know, come to us and say, gosh, you guys are doing a lot of things that my NAC does. Um and actually, you know, we've had some say we just ripped out our knack or some say we've completely, you know, reduced our reliance on, on our knack. And so we got to thinking, you know, after having so many customers tell us this, hey, maybe there's something there. And then, you know, I think we're starting, or at least I am starting to see, you know, this, hey, you know, rather than manage all these different, you know, consoles and sets of rules and policies, Maybe I don't need my NAC anymore. Maybe I can rethink my NAC and, and where it might fit in the stack. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, some of the analysts uh, out there, I don't know, Garrett, when was the last time you guys wrote a, wrote any research on NAC before I continue? <laughs> I'd be curious. You know, it's funny. When I, when I started doing my zero trust research a few years ago, um, it, it just dawned on me, like, why does this sound familiar? And all of a sudden the light bulb went off, like, oh, this is like NAC. And I remember thinking... This is basically this is kind of like knack on steroids, right? And <laughs> and my first reaction was, wow, it took so long to get knack off the ground, and knack was so it was a really interesting idea, but it just seemed like it it was so complex and so took so forever to get off the ground. But um, yeah, that was the first thing I thought. This was this was knack reincarnated, albeit with it with a, a broader set of use cases, right? If, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of what knack was originally about primary use cases, you know, if you had a road warrior or somebody go out with a laptop and get infected, come back in, plug it into the corporate land and take down the network. That was initially what it was designed to solve. But uh, yeah, there are definitely similarities. Uh, Hopefully Zero Trust does a better job of building on that. Yeah. You know, and that's been my, you know, I think people still out there using NACs and trying to still probably get them installed because that can be a journey in and of itself. Um, but, you know, if I, to me, it's like the same paradigm shift that zero trust was in terms of how, you know, we think about security. I think this is a new coming uh, or growing trend of a paradigm shift around how do I protect, you know, my corporate, you know, campus um, on-premises resources and people when they go back to the office and plug in. Um, and so, you know, maybe in your situation, the, the knack is okay. You've already rolled it out. It's working. You know, maybe you believe it can, you know, you can create complex enough rule set to do least privileged access with a knack. I was never personally that successful in terms of, you know, if I could just get my users over here on this VLAN and my servers over here on this VLAN, I was, I was pretty happy back in the day, but 
you know, that's not, um, that's not where security is today. And it's certainly not removing all the implicit or as much of that implicit trust off your network as you can. And so I think we're starting to see this trend of organizations and CISOs and CIOs start to rethink their network access control and also saying, you know, hey, can I just do this with my existing ZTNA solution? I, I think the use cases are a lot broader. And we, we talked about remote access and some of the initial motivations for NAC. I think, you know, if you look at zero trust, is there's a lot more done right we can do with it. I mean, first off, we can, you know, I think a good starting point, just to grow a broader use of identity in, inside the, the corporate network, I think is going to be a, a, a win. Um, but if you think to the extent that we're doing least privilege more broadly, um, and we're also doing some network segmentation, um, I think we can also do a go a long way to help preventing preventing attacks and breaches. Right, that's one of the one of the things that was driven home at RSA. Some of the um, presentations I listened to is that um, you know almost every modern successful breach has a couple of common elements. One of which is lateral movement to gather more privileges and more credentials and then eventually escalating your privileges. And, and I think to the extent that zero trust can help with both of those, um, I think it can can go a long way to helping us be more secure overall. So, yeah, just uh, being cognizant of, of time here and trying to keep this uh, true to the to the to the 30 minutes of zero trust 30 as possible. Um, let's go ahead and grab some final thoughts before we wrap up and do our rapid fire question. Garrett, what, what are your, on this topic of zero trust for the corporate network, what are your final thoughts for the audience? Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, the biggest thing is that we live in a world now where you need to provide access for all your users, um, whether the, you know, wherever they may be at any point, um, recognize that your, your apps and, and the resources they're looking to access can be anywhere. And so you've got to have a solution in place that can have the flexibility to deal with that, whether, you know, your users are working from home like I am today or whether you're working from a, a Starbucks and what have you. Um, it really needs to be able to tie it all together and be flexible enough to, to make really make it work in all those different scenarios. I love the use of that word flexibility. Chris, what are your final thoughts? You know, it's I, I don't know if this thought is final, but one thing I didn't, you know, mention is there are horrible supply chain issues going on out there in the world. And, you know, even for, for some of our customers, we're struggling to get, you know, hardware for those that still want to, you know, have that, have that, uh, server, so to speak to hug. Um, and I know they're certainly impacting, you know, the other vendors as well, especially, you know, when you think about a NAC hardware refresh. And so maybe my final thought with that being said is, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to, you know, rethink how you want to try to implement uh, zero implicit uh, trust um, being the new definition uh, shorthand in my mind of how you're going to secure your campuses, your branch offices, your uh, headquarters, your large corporate offices, um, uh, assuming you're one of the ones that still have that, as I, as I think Garrett mentioned, many of them still do. Uh, there's very few 100% cloud, 100% remote companies out there. So, you know, how do you protect that legacy infrastructure? How do you protect, you know, those um, em employees and IoT devices that are still uh, in some kind of premises, brick and mortar type location? 
because, hey, we still have to manufacture things. Um, so those people have to be there, you know, to run those systems. And how can you extend your zero implicit trust journey uh, to that without taking a step backwards uh, in your zero trust journey? I appreciate that. And I think my quote of the day from this was, uh, it's like knack on steroids that, uh, <laughs> that Garrett put forward for ZTNA. And and I, I agree, but maybe without all the bulkiness, right? Maybe it's it's the leaned up hyper athlete, not necessarily the the big the big bulky mess that uh, that can come along with that. Yeah. Anyways, we um, we're done for time, but what we're going to do here, real quick, is just a rapid fire question game. Uh, three questions, you each get to answer it, and lucky for you, it has nothing to do with zero trust, NAX, corporate networks. It is all about the two of you. Um, Garrett, we'll have you go first, and then Chris, you can answer second. So, what movie or TV show? Makes you so makes you laugh so hard you could barely keep it together. You know, since I make my living in technology for the past twenty years, I think I've I got to go with Silicon Valley. Um, yeah. I think maybe maybe the funniest uh, comedy ever put on TV, in my opinion. Well, you can apply it to the to the things that you hear on a day in you know day in and day out, and things you e- see. Exactly, it's like an inside joke for us technology people. All right, Chris, what about you? Oh, geez. I'm not like a super comedy guy these days. Um, Don't Look Up was pretty funny. Uh, I don't know. I just get tickled uh, and just get these massive belly laughs at at the strangest movies that aren't even really comedies. And my family just looks at me like I'm crazy. So (laughs) it it could be anything, really. You're the guy laughing while everyone else is crying. Uh, Yeah, that would be me. There you go. If you could be a reality TV contestant, which show would you be uh, auditioning for, Garrett? You know, I actually did. I used to religiously watch Jeopardy, so I actually auditioned for it one year. Um, Although they had the auditions in a casino in Atlantic City, and while you were waiting for your results, you had to wait on the casino floor. So uh, I'm wondering if it was just really more of a demand gen exercise (laughs) for the casino. But needless to say, I did not make it. So Ken Jennings was safe. Did the casino make it make it worth out of it though? I, I have a feeling they did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's you, funny. oh gosh, um, I my kids brought me into this show called The Floor Is Lava. That's pretty cool. I would I definitely want to be a contestant in that. Um, or Naked and Afraid with the clothes. So it'd be <laughs> clothed and afraid. Just afraid. Just afraid. Yeah. Afraid in strange places. Yeah. Yeah. All right, final question, then I'll let you guys go. What toppings would you put on your ideal pizza? Oh, I uh, I think I've got to go with sausage. Crumbled sausage, though, is, is, is best. Oh, that's an easy one. Pepperoni, sausage, mushroom. Yes. Strange, but good. <laughs> Did I get a yes from George? I just, I'm just happy that nobody said pineapple because it doesn't belong. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, – Thank you both. And for the audience, thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent the views of their organizations. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30. And that's a wrap. <laughs>